Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 9, Shall We Go On Sinning So That Grace Can Increase? Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. Grace. It's such a seemingly simple concept to understand. Unmerited favor. A gift. And yet, we as humans do not have a category for grace in our minds. Today on Romans Untangled, and actually for the rest of this season, another 10 episodes or so, we are going to look at how the grace of God, how this theological concept that we've been looking at for a season and a half here, actually folds out into our lives. How do we live by and through and empowered by God's grace? It's good to be with you all again. My name is Pastor Steve Treichler, downtown Minneapolis. Uh, Spring seems to be coming here just in time to tease us, and then we get another blast of cold. But anytime we get in this time of year, it's always a a great joy because it's coming. Summer is coming, and there's no place on planet Earth better to be than Minneapolis, Minnesota in the summer. Coming to you from my multi-dollar basement studio here. I love it down here. Got the fireplace going today. Um, For me, one of the the biggest influences on grace has been thinking through the implications that God's grace has had for me and reading some very important books. I would say if there's been one book that's been more transformational than any other, it has been this book called Transforming Grace by Jerry Bridges. The subtitle is Living Confidently in God's Unfailing Love. And and I got an old copy of it. It was an old hard copy, you know, where they had the dust cover on there. And I think the best part of this book was the flap that came with the book And it had this, it said this sentence, it says, you know you don't understand God's grace when you, and then they listed a bunch of things. And I just want to read them to you because maybe you'll understand where we're going now and where the Apostle Paul is going to be going in the book of Romans to help us to understand how to live by God's grace. Let me just read these. This is how you don't, you know you don't understand God's grace when you, and let me read the list. Live with a vague sense of his disapproval. Feel sheepish bringing your needs before him when you've just failed him. Think of his grace as something that makes up the difference between the best you can do and what he expects from you. Feel you deserve an answer to prayer because of your hard work and sacrifice. Assume that 1 John 1, 9, which talks about our forgiveness of sins, no longer applies to you now that you've sinned so many times you've used up all your credit. Feel more confident before him if you've been faithful with your Christian disciplines, prayer, your quiet time, devotional life, witnessing, etc. Can't honestly say you see yourself as blameless in his eyes aren't experiencing consistent peace and joy in your Christian life. Don't really believe he likes you. Can think of someone you look down on. 
shy away from asking him for things because you think it annoys him. Again, these are ways that you know. You know you don't understand God's grace when you haven't recently been tempted to go ahead and sin because you know your performance has nothing to do with your standing before him. Think of the Christian life as the cost of discipleship rather than the chance to experience an unending supply of his goodness toward you. Fear that the day may not go as well as expected because you missed your quiet time, your devotional time. Assume you can do something to make him love you more or less. And lastly, because you've been called into his service because of your worthiness or qualifications. And to me, as I, as I read this book, that flap was just like, whoa, I really want to get into this because we all struggle with that, right? We don't, we don't have a category for grace. And today on Romans Untangled and for the remainder of this season, we're going to unpack what it looks like to live by God's grace. And Paul's going to teach us with Romans 6, chapter 6 to 8. Okay, we're going to get back to that in just a moment. You know we've been kind of doing a little bonus thing here, just uh, kind of giving us a theological term each week we're going to unpack. Uh, This week, we're looking at uh, a word that we're actually going to spend several weeks on, and it's a Latin word, but don't let that freak you out. It's just just a Latin. It's ordo, which O-R-D-O, and the next word is salutis. S-A-L-U-T-I-S. It, it means in Latin, the order of salvation. And uh, let me just read the different things. That generally, theologians come up with right around 10. And what this is, is how does God's saving grace come into our lives? That's what order or, or uh, ordo salutis means, the order of salvation. Number one is election, which is God's choice of people being saved. Two is the gospel call, the, the proclamation of the gospel. Three is regeneration. It's where God moves into our hearts and we're born again. Four is conversion, uh, involving faith and repentance. Five is justification. It means we have a right legal standing before God. Six is adoption. We are members of God's family. Seven is the process of sanctification. It's, it's how our lives are changed as a result of being a follower of Jesus. Eight is uh, perseverance, or like I like to say, preservation, not uh, uh, perseverance, but it means that how do we continue on in our faith? Then nine is, is our ultimate physical death, where we go to be with the Lord and face judgment, but our judgment is we're in Christ. And 10 is uh, glorification, where things will be the way they ought to be, okay? There's 10... All of this is going to happen because of our union with Christ. We're going to get into that totally in Romans as well, but uh, I want to, uh, we're going to spend the next few weeks, this is what I'm calling Ordo Salutis Part 1, we're going to spend a few weeks just on this particular issue. Uh, matter of fact, as I look at it here, it looks like we're going to spend, boy, um, about five or six weeks just on the order of uh, salvation. I don't know, more than that, actually. So... Um, Let's unpack a couple in the beginning here. Election. Let's just deal with that one uh, to begin with as we as we start to unpack uh, this ordo salutis in our lives. Election. Difficult concept, right? Always like, whoa, you guys are talking about predestination. Oh, that's really complex. And it, and, it, and it is in a lot of ways. Of course it is. It's a, it's a very complex subject. Um, <clears throat> 
Predestination simply means that God is the one that initiates and he moves in human hearts uh, so that their eyes are opened and they come to him. That's basically what predestination means. And there's all kinds of implications from it. And there's all kinds of different different things. And so you, you, there's a first a couple of things that you have to understand if you're going to look at the issue of predestination. <laughs> Here I'm going to talk about predestination in about three minutes. But basically, it, it does not mean determinism. Okay, determinism means that that would be what some would call a hyper-Calvinist view, that determinism, God determined every single thing. There is no choices. There is no what would be commonly called free will, okay? Um, and we, we uh, move away from that. We say that that is not true. But, however, the other extreme... Um, where God is just not in control of anything, uh, where you know that might, might be some some would say it's an open theism position where that just basically means that God doesn't even know the future, therefore He doesn't know the free acts of His creation. However, He's so wise that He can respond to any and every situation, so that He can still kind of keep order in the world. Uh, and, and I understand why people go there because if you're a hyper Calvinist and you believe that everything's determined, doesn't then God actually become the author of evil? If God has determined everything the way it is, it's like evil acts that are happening. Like right now we're watching, uh, you know, the the war play out in in, uh, Russia and Ukraine, and and to say some of the atrocities are happening, like that's God's, that's what God chose to do. And, and, And it's like, wait, well, no, God's providence is over everything, but his sovereignty does not mean that we're puppets. However, the other side is also true, is our free will does not mean we can do whatever we want. You know, we can't have just complete freedom. For instance, I'm not free right now to fly around this room. I, I, I'm, I'm constrained by the, the, the laws of gravity, right? I'm, I'm not free to have been born in 1841, for instance, I, I, I'm not, those, those guys, that's silly, right? There's, there's tons of things that I'm restrained on, but when I say the phrase predestination, or it means that God's in control, when I say the phrase uh, free will, it means that we have real choices. Now, the question then is, is, wait a minute now, dude, how can they both be true? How, how can you possibly mean that, that there really is uh, a, an, an essence where God is sovereign over all things and we really have any choices? And my answer to that is yes. I don't understand it. You know what? But I don't understand a lot of things. Well, uh, it took a lot of science. Uh, I was a chemical engineering student for a couple of years. And, you know, light is both a, a particle and a wave. Now you're thinking, wait a minute, that can't. It's one or the other. No, it's not. It's both. And so I think the idea of God's complete control over things, and yet I have real choices here, are not in contradiction. They're a mystery. They're a paradox. Or as I like to joke, they're a couple of mallards, paradox. Uh, <laughs> yes, but to deny that God's in control of things is is silly as well. In fact, why would I pray about anything if I don't think God is actually going to move and because he's in control of things? So that's what we start this week. We ordo salute us and we just look briefly <laughs> at the issue of predestination or what is called election.
Okay, now on to Romans. Let me read this great passage. Man, we got a great, a great podcast here today. Romans 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Okay. Wow, what a great passage. Uh, it actually is one of my, uh, when I'm talking to folks about what does it mean to to overcome sin in your life, uh, this is one of my go-to passages. In fact, uh, I was told early in my Christian experience, if you really want to learn what it means to live by grace and to follow Christ and to have the victory that he won for us uh, applied in your life, you need to really meditate and think about Romans chapter 6 to 8. And that's where we're spending the rest of our season like I said, ten, uh, roughly 10 more episodes, plus I'm planning two, at least two bonus episodes here. The, the, the big idea here is we untangle this thing is as a follower of Jesus Christ, grace is now applied to your life. And it's not grace is not just a concept. It's not just a theology of something that happened. It's actually power. And we now have the victory, have it. So we already have the victory to overcome and to obey Christ over each and every sin in our life. And it's some, as someone who's living the new life, you have been set free from sin's authority in your life, though it still aims to hunt you down every single day. Okay, that's the, that's the word, as we call this podcast, Romans Untangled. That's this passage in a nutshell. Now, let's go back through it. If you got your Bible open or you just want to follow along uh, here as best you can, I, I want to kind of, I, I want you to kind of see what's happening here. This is just beautiful. The first five chapters of Romans, basically, if we're going to do an outline, it's the gospel explained. How does this work, right? I would say chapter six to eight is the gospel applied into our lives now. He's still going to unpack some of this about how it's still working in our lives because it's how it actually works because it's a phenomenal theological and, and mystical and magical, really, thing. But I would say that if you're going to outline the first eight chapters, it would go the first five and then chapter six to eight. And as we'll do next season, it'll be nine through 11 is kind of what was God doing in all of history. And then 12 to the end of the book is basically uh, 
again, application, practical matters. How do we live this out? Okay, so let's go back to the top. Look at Romans chapter 6 and kind of walk through it. Paul is now saying, what then shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And you got to realize, why is he even asking that question? And I know we go a, a, a week between our podcasts here, but just the way that this, uh, the way that in the book of Romans, where we ended this with the end of chapter five, when we were looking at the issue, remember we had Adam and, and Christ, and they were the same except completely different. And Adam was the one who messed up, but God did everything, uh, or excuse me, Christ did everything correctly and died for our sins. And so the, the, the passage ends by saying, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if you're reading this, maybe for the first time, you'd ask the question, wait a minute now, if that's, if that's really true, then why not just go on sinning? I mean, if God's getting more glory in Jesus Christ for forgiving more of my sin, parte. I mean, toga, toga, right? Why not just go and just do whatever I want to do? And the interesting thing here is that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is going to say. He's actually going to say, you're different in Christ now do whatever you want to do. But the you he's talking about here is the new you, not the old you. He's actually saying here that uh, do it. Do whatever you want. Martin Luther was famous about love Christ and do whatever you want. In other words, be transformed because you are transformed and live in that transformation. And that's where the Apostle Paul goes here. So if you ask that question, you're following Paul. That's exactly what he's saying. And his answer here is very important. He doesn't say, oh, don't do that because good Christians don't do that. Or if you don't be good, God's going to get you. He doesn't say that. He goes instead to what does it mean for us as new people? He defines the new humanity. And he says, by no means, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Like, that, that's dead to me. There's no life there anymore. Boy, I remember as a young follower of Christ, just days, and some of the things that I was involved in, they just didn't give me life anymore. I was like, wow, this is crazy. And then he goes on to give this thing. He says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, this is key. He's going to compare it with baptism. Now, baptism, no matter what what uh, uh, what Christian uh, understanding you, you have of baptism, baptism is is a symbol of union with Christ. Like Everybody agrees on that. Now, we're just going to disagree about when we do it and uh, to who we do it and how we do it. But everybody agrees it's about union with Christ, and it symbolizes it symbolizes what Romans uh, 6 here is talking about. It's, 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 a, it's a baptism, or it's saying you're united in his death, and you're also, we'll find out in just a minute, you're also united in his resurrection. Now, and some people will say, well, that happens at baptism, and, you know, I'm going to respectfully disagree because I think it's just a symbol of what spiritually happens to you. In fact, I would even say that, that if you haven't gone through baptism, 
but you're a follower of Christ, that's not that that's not an indication of your salvation or anything like that. However, I'd say why not? It's a party in your honor. Let's do this thing because it we practice by immersion. So of the person who's a follower of Christ, they already are. So we'd be credo Baptist. Credo just means simply upon your creed or upon your declaration of faith. Uh, so it's not it's not adult baptism. It's believer baptism. You can be any age, and we would dunk you. And that dunking is symbolic. You stand there, and it symbolizes your life before Christ. You go into the water, under the water, which symbolizes death, your death with Christ, and then you come out, and you're raised with Christ. In fact, that's where he's going to next. He says, if you've been united with him in his death, this is verse 5, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. So this is key. He is saying, why not just keep on sinning? He's saying, because you've been raised. You haven't just died with his death. The Christian life is not just getting your sins forgiven at the cross. Although if it was only that, it'd be worth worshiping Jesus. But it's more than that. He says you've been united with him in his resurrection. And that our old self was crucified with him, verse 8, so that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we're no longer slaves to sin. Because anyone who's died has been freed from sin. He's saying here, now listen, this is really cool. You're different. There's no life there. There's no life in following sin. There's only disappointment, false promises, uh, believing things that are lies. It's an empty road. Then he goes on to say, now, if we died with Christ, this is verse 8, chapter 6, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. In other words, it is finished. And it's finished in your life too. Now, we'll get back to in that in just a second. But the, the authority of sin in the life of the believer is finished. It's done. Now, uh, you're going, wait a minute here now. I know, I know, I know, I know. Just hold on. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Okay, those verses, Romans 6, 1 to 10, are worth your meditation. I know this podcast is only half an hour, but you have to chew on this stuff. You have to chew on who you are as a new person in Christ. You have to really grasp that because in verses 11 to 14, he's going to give you here what what, what I would say is it matters how you count it. Uh, you know, I, I would say it's a four-part process on how to simply overcome sin in your life. Okay? So, but but it comes from, and he's going to even reiterate this in number one, it, it comes from really grasping verses one to 10. And, and, and that means you have to really grasp Romans one to five, that what Christ did for you is not because of you. It's not any of your merit. It's not any of your efforts. It's in fact, it, Paul even says uh, we were his enemies and he died for us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, uh, why we were still sinning, Christ died for us, right? So all of that's true. That's not only true for how you come to Christ, that's how true it is how you follow Christ and how you overcome sin. So here it comes. Here's the four steps. Number one, verse 11. In the same way, count yourself, reckon some, some. Uh, I love that, I reckon so, uh, reckon yourselves dead to sin, 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So number one, you have to realize that sin does not have authority in your life because you are in Christ. Count yourselves. Think about that. Meditate on it. Say, you have no, you know, (laughs) I always want to think of Gandalf there. None shall pass! You know, it's that, that moment of saying, no, you don't have authority anymore. Now, here's the deal. We still have this flesh. Some people say it's like a body, and it kind of is. But the idea of biblically of what the idea of flesh is, is uh, there's an inner part of us. We're going to see this in Romans 7. There's an inner man that delights in following God, and then there's the flesh that is still susceptible to sin. It still hears our old master sin yelling at us. But we're not under that anymore. And our inside our soul, spirit, however you want to say it, that has been regenerated, that is new, that is fit for heaven, it's holy, it's blameless, all this. But this flesh gets a lot of temptation towards us. And so uh, it's still there. So you have to realize this would make no sense. Why say this unless you'd feel that? That's exactly what we feel. So number one is to realize it doesn't have power in my life. Two, therefore, don't, do not, let sin reign in your mortal bodies to obey its evil desires and do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, right? So second step is here is don't let, let it reign. Therefore, since it doesn't have power of you, don't let it reign and don't offer the parts of your body to sin. Third thing, instead, rather offer yourselves to God And he just wants to remind you again. Look at verse 13. As those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of of righteousness. So instead of following sin and letting it reign, I'm going 90 degrees in a different direction and I'm following Christ and what he wants. That's step two. Excuse me, that's step three. Step two is don't offer the parts of your body to sin. Instead, offer them to God. And then number four is this, for sin shall not be your master. Why? Because you're not under law, but under grace. Wow. Now, he's going to pick up that. We're going to pick that up next week. In fact, right here, this is a huge verse. 614 is unbelievably important. In other words, the way to get out of sin is not to create a new law. You, you don't, hey, uh, good Christians don't lie. So I'm just not going to lie. I'm going to count how many times I lie a day and I'm going to beat myself up about it. And if you do that, if you create a law in your life, instead of following the pattern of grace, you will give sin power because it says sin's not your master because you're not under law. Once you get back under law, guess what? You just give sin power again. I'm all for accountability partners. You know, I know people struggle with sexual purity and wanting to maybe not look at pornography or whatever it is, uh, lust, different things. However, and I'm all for accountability and talking with people, but if I let that become my God, how many times did I look this month or not look? I feel pretty good or I feel really bad. And it's like, well, okay, I'm all for accountability and talking to one another is really important. But don't give law its strength. Now, 
Let me close here by giving you an example of how this actually works, okay? Because it's it seems a little conceptual here, and it's not it's not uh, there's nothing you know it's exactly right. I just want to follow the process for you how this could work. I'm gonna make up a situation here. I I brought up an issue already. Lying. Let's just say that you have a tendency not to tell people the truth. Maybe a little white lies, like you just got out of bed early, or excuse me, got out of bed late. That never early never happens for me. And you're late to a meeting, and it's because you just decided to sleep in. You made a conscious choice to lay in a little bit longer, and you you were late. And on the way to to uh, while you were ten minutes late already, on the way to work or wherever you're supposed to be, uh, you hit a couple red lights you don't normally hit. And so then when you get there, people say, "Hey, uh, you're late," and you say, "Well, yeah, traffic was bad." Well, is that lying? Well, no, but I chose to sleep in a little bit, <laughs> right? Okay, so, okay, is that, is that going to ruin the world here? No, but let's just unpack that just for a second. So let's follow the, let's follow the, the ways that, that this four steps pattern. Number one, number one is reckon myself as, as uh, in the same way, uh, count yourselves, Dead to sin, but alive to Christ in in, in uh, uh, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's number one. If that's true, first thing I need to tell myself is I'm okay in Jesus. Remember those four words? I keep saying them over and over, and I will until the day I die. Uh, I'm okay in Jesus. That's where we start. I'm okay in Jesus. Okay, number two. I gotta ask myself the hard question is how am how is sin reigning or how am I offering the parts of my body to sin? All right. What what does that mean? So what I do is I do this thing called the Y ladder, W H Y. And it just basically asks like a three-year-old, you know, why? 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 You know, you when the, you're trying to explain something to a three-year-old. So let me just let me just unpack this a little bit so you can see what it is. So I have to ask myself. Why do I lie? And I can actually go down the why ladder to the dark places of my heart. Guess why? Because of number one. I'm okay in Jesus. I'm not okay because I lie or I don't lie or whatever. I'm okay in Jesus. So I ask, and I'm just going to give you a, a simple example here. That So why do you lie? Well, I don't want to disappoint people. Well, why? Well, I want, I want people to kind of, I want people to kind of like me. Well, Why? Well, I remember once in third grade, I was picked on by my peers. I, I, I told the truth on something, and everybody picked on me like I was a moron, and I felt really bad about myself. Well, well, why did you feel really bad about yourself? Well, ultimately, my, my value, my worth, my identity came, came from what, what other people thought about me, especially at those formative ages, and, and, and not necessarily what God says about me. Guess what? Now we're getting close to the bottom here of the Y ladder. We're getting close to really what your idol is. Your 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 problem isn't lying, actually. Your problem is you care more about what people say, what people speak into your life, instead of what Almighty God does. And that's the thing that needs to be repented of. That's step three, right? Don't offer the parts of your body to sin. So, in other words. What I actually need to measure here is how many times am I letting people dictate who I am instead of allowing Christ to tell me who I am? Lying is just a symptom of this thing. If I'm just going to measure lying, and this is just going to show up a different, you know, 
push that ping pong ball down uh, if you have a bathtub full of ping pong balls and another one's going to pop up. What I need to repent of is that and say, God, I want to get my identity from you and you alone. And if people look at me, if I just honestly said, I slept in this morning and I, I want to apologize. I shouldn't have done that. And I, I wasn't fair to you. And I, I need to ask your forgiveness instead of saying traffic was bad. Fourth, what does it mean here then? I, as, as I, as I've, as I've gone, uh, I'm not, I'm offering the, the not offering sin any longer, not letting it rain. I've walked through the Y ladder. Three, then I repent of that, and I do what I think it means here. In this case, it'd be truth-telling, and people telling truth, and letting the chips fall where they may. And they may not lie favorably for me, but it's okay because, number one, I'm okay in Jesus. And then fourth here, remember fourth was, sin is not my master because I'm not under law. So I I focus on more on the one, two, and three here instead of saying, okay, how many times did I lie today? Oh, I hate myself because I've lied. I've dealt with a lot of people who have gone through chemical dependency, and I love, one of my favorite organizations is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, okay? And granted, you know, people maybe uh, criticize them because they say, well, some of the principles aren't exactly like they should be in the Bible. And I'm like, yeah, I understand that. That's, I get it. But they're really trying to help a, a broad range of people, and so so they're, they, you know, but they quote a lot of biblical things in their big book, and, and they do a lot of great things. So I'm, I'm a fan. One of the things that I've seen over and over is most people that come in with some type of chemical dependency, uh, say alcoholism, most of them, I, I can't remember what the rate is, I believe it's over 80%, will have a case of recidivism. In other words, they will get back and they will get drunk somewhere in their life again. It will happen. And this is where I both... I both celebrate and loathe the pins that are given, right? You get the 30-day pin, 60-day pin, 90-day pin, six-month pin, one-year pin, two-year pin, and then you have your anniversary, right? And it's great. You celebrate one day at a time what what God has done in your life. And I, I vote yes all day long. But here's what happens invariably is people maybe have gone five years, and then all of a sudden their wife comes up to them and says, I'm leaving you. And they say, I'm having a drink. And they sit at that bar with the drink in front of them. They don't drink it. They look at it. They haven't had a drink in five years. And they look at that drink and they decide to drink. And boy, they have at it, right? They get, they get really drunk. And then, you know, they usually call me and say, hey, I got really drunk last night. And there goes my five-year pin. Well, it really wasn't about your five-year pin, now was it? was about your health and your sobriety. And when you're talking to me on the phone now, 36 hours after the event, you're no less sober than when you were the moment before you took that drink. And yet to them, everything has fallen apart. I got to start all over. You got to start all over if your goal is the law and to get a new pin. But not so much if you know these four steps. I'm okay in Jesus. How is sin reigning in my life? Three, I need to repent of that and turn to Christ. And then four, this is huge, I'm not going to get my okayness on how I'm even overcoming this sin in my life. I'm going to get my okayness because of one, I'm okay in Jesus. That is a radical way to let grace rule in your lives to overcome sin.
Hey, thanks for joining us. We're going to pick this right up next week where Paul, last in the last verse, he says, your uh, sin's not going to be your master because you're not under law, but under grace. He's going to pick that right up and he's going to ask the question, well, should we go on sinning then? So that... Uh, Uh, because we're not under law, but under grace. And he's going to pick it up right there. It's been great being with you. Have a fantastic week, and we'll see you next time on Romans Untangled.